Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K, where together we can reimagine GI care. Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski, and we're going to open the show as we always do by reminding everyone that the goal of this series is to present you a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but sometimes outside of GI as well. In each episode, we strive to bring you cutting edge information through a focused interview with an influential and interesting key opinion leader. Over the course of the last eight podcasts, we have focused on payers and providers, but we have yet to interview someone from the other, the more important P, the patients. Today, we're gonna rectify that by interviewing Lily Stairs, who is not only a patient herself, but also a strong patient advocate. She is the founder and principal at Patient Authentic, which sits at the intersection of marketing and patient engagement to help companies authentically engage with patients to build movements around their products and services. Lily is also a board member for the American Autoimmune Related Disease Association, the AARDA, where she provides strategic direction on current and future initiatives of the organization. She states that she is here to make a difference in the lives of patients and is doing that every day like a chronic boss. That's quite a statement of your passion, Lily. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. K. I am thrilled to be on and honored to be the first patient uh, on this special podcast. Well, you deserve it. You've, you've had quite a, quite a path to get to this point, and we're going to go through that. We have so much to discuss today, so it's good we get started. Lily, can you tell us about your personal journey, your personal experience with autoimmune disease? Absolutely. So it dates all the way back to when I was seven years old. I was first diagnosed with psoriasis. And mine presented sort of like chickenpox. So it, it looked like chickenpox all over my body, these little spots. And it was difficult to treat. It was hard mentally uh, just because I would always be self-conscious about what looked like chicken pox all over my body. Um, and so I, I would do a lot of the topical steroid treatments. And every day before elementary school or a couple days a week, my mom would drive me into the city so I could get light treatments to treat my psoriasis. Um, and at that time, no one ever mentioned that psoriasis is an autoimmune disease. And no one mentioned that 30% of people who have psoriasis will go on to develop psoriatic arthritis. Fast forward to when I turned 19. And that summer, I was suddenly very sick. So out of nowhere, I developed arthritis, total body arthritis to the point that I couldn't move. My mom was dressing me and feeding me. And it was at that point that I was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis. Six months later, again, out of nowhere, I had this stomach pain unlike anything I had ever felt before. I was in and out of the ER three times in one weekend. I was finally admitted. It took a couple of weeks, but after an onslaught of testing, they finally did a capsule endoscopy, which is a, a pill camera that takes pictures as it moves through your body every three seconds. 
And it was at that point that they discovered bleeding ulcers in my small intestine and they diagnosed me with Crohn's disease. So here I was at the age of 19 with now three diagnoses of chronic illnesses that I would live with for the rest of my life. Yeah, and at that age, at 19, the last thing a kid wants to be thinking about is even one chronic illness and you're suffering with three of them at the time. You know, that journey you describe is painful to listen to. Unfortunately, it's, it's not that uncommon. When a young person gets, gets a condition, you know, there's an old expression in medicine that common diseases occur commonly. So everybody tries to fit you into the common things. And lo and behold, it's, it's not a common thing. It's something much more significant that you're suffering from. Well, that, that's, that's quite an ordeal. So what's happened since your diagnosis of, of Crohn's? How have you done? I'm really fortunate to say that I have been in medically controlled remission for seven years. And I actually just had my biologic injection today. Um, and, and so in this month is actually seven years for me. Uh, this biologic has kept all three of my autoimmune diseases in remission, which is quite remarkable. Uh, and so I, it did take, I will say it took a lot of trial and error to get there. It took a few years to find something that worked. And I am I would say definitely one of the lucky ones to have something that works so well with virtually no side effects. But that wasn't the first biologic you were placed on. Correct. Yeah, I, had, had. I went through two other biologics first, along with some combination therapy. Yeah. And you know, you, this rolls out of your mouth, but knowing what happens when someone's put on a biologic, that's not a week or two of an experience. That's several months of trial of, a, of one before they realize it's not working and then they go to another one and the switchover is not easy. It, the, no, that story you tell, it flows out of your mouth very smoothly, but it's painful, especially, you know, from someone who, who knows what it's like from the physician's side. So this has had, oh, this has had a very significant effect on your life then. Yes, absolutely. I, it's completely turned my life upside down, but in many ways I say it's a blessing in disguise because it did lead me down the career path that I'm on now and I'm really passionate about the work that I do. Okay, so let's pivot to that. Enough about the bad stuff in the past. <laughs> let's pivot to, to where, you, where you went. So when did, when did the light bulb go on in your head that you could be a patient advocate and that you wanted to pursue that? Immediately, which is interesting. It, I, I literally can pinpoint it back to when I was sitting in the hospital bed, when I had received the third diagnosis, the Crohn's disease diagnosis. I pulled out my laptop. Mind you, I'm full of morphine, a lot of morphine, very sick. And the morphine's not even really doing anything to take away the pain. Um, and I'm sitting there and I start Googling psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, and Crohn's disease. And what comes up but the term autoimmune. And I had never heard the term autoimmune disease before. And come to find out there are an estimated 50 million Americans living with an autoimmune disease. Why hadn't I heard the term? And so that was really upsetting to me. And I said, I need to do whatever I can to raise awareness about these diseases and to help try to propel 
research. I, I mean, I honestly, I truly knew at that point that I, I didn't know what a patient advocate was, but I knew that's what I was going to be. And so how did you, how did you do this? How did, how did you start off? Um, tell us a little bit about the journey to become a patient advocate. Yeah, yeah. It starts, so I was in college when I was diagnosed and I started right on my campus and in my in the Boston community, I ended up running the 50 cents for 50 million campaign, which was a campaign to raise money and awareness for the 50 million Americans battling autoimmune diseases. And so we did everything. I, I got to a group of people together. We hosted a major comedy show fundraiser. We had, um, you know, local flyers and awareness happening around the city and hosted a series of different events to to raise funds and awareness and it was actually for ARDA, the American Autoimmune Related Diseases Association, which I now sit on the board of. Um, and so that was where I really got my start. And then I ended up in, you know, Boston, we have this rich ecosystem of biotech and pharma and health tech companies. And so I ended up falling into working within these companies who I like to say literally saved my life with the medication that has come out of them and learned about patient advocacy as a career track and said, that's what I have to do. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. So you were able to get corporate funding and private funding. Uh, for the campaign initiative I ran. Yes. Yes. Okay. So what have you learned from the patients that you, for which you advocate? I've learned a lot. Um, so, you know, what's interesting is that I've, I've learned what it means to be resilient. Uh, you know, myself, I, I, I've noticed a resilience in myself, but also in every single person I've met who lives with a chronic illness, they are some of the most resilient people you'll ever meet. Um, and so I feel that I really have taken that away. And I've also, you know, the other thing I've learned, and this isn't such a positive thing, is that our healthcare system is really a complete and utter mess. <laughs> uh, it's hard to navigate. And I work with a lot of fellow advocates, and we all still struggle to navigate the healthcare system, even though we, I would say, have an advanced working knowledge of the system because of our, the work that we do, still struggle to navigate it. So... Give me an example. What, what kind of uh, navigation problems do you run into? <laughs> uh, well, there's always, I mean, I hate to point a finger, but it often goes back Go to- Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Most of it is frustration with insurance. Um, and so trying to coordinate uh, ensuring that a doctor is in network. And, you know, I've had, I'll tell you my blood work, that I need to get for my autoimmune diseases, that's the least invasive way we can check to make sure that I'm still in remission and that all is well. I have avoided getting blood work sometimes for over a year at a time, even though I'm supposed to get it every three months because I've been billed, it gets quoted incorrectly and then I end up getting billed and paying thousands of dollars out of pocket. Um, yes, I hear that. I. I hear that from the other side. It, that's a common problem. So that's really frustrating and it's hard, it's hard to navigate. And I'm constantly, I feel like I'm micromanaging everyone. When I, when I call for a referral, the physician's office or the hospital is supposed to send it to the insurance company and somebody drops the ball and it doesn't happen. So then I'm, I'm left to coordinate between the two. And 
I'm lucky that I know enough to do that and I have the time to do that in my day. A lot of people don't have the time to do it or even know that they need to. Yeah, no, that, that's true. You know, it's not one of the questions I, I told you I was going to ask you, but I'm struck by something here. You self-categorized yourself as an autoimmune disease patient, whereas, and it was because you had the multiple conditions. I get it. I understand. But so many of the others might have called themselves a Crohn's patient or called themselves a psoriasis patient. But you truly have moved it up to a, a higher level. And um, that really differentiates you. That's, that's a very, very interesting way of packaging your conditions together. It is. Uh, and I, I, you're right. A lot of people do. I, they find that they identify with one illness specifically. It, it's interesting because it's actually, as I identify myself as an autoimmune patient and I meet other patients who maybe identify themselves as an IBD advocate or a psoriasis advocate, they'll say to me, oh, oh yeah, I actually also have another autoimmune disease or I have this. So m many of them do, but they just tend to identify with one in particular, or they've just never honestly thought about them from a categorical perspective. And I just felt that I never identified with one. They all impacted my life so severely that I, I, I needed to categorize it at a higher level. And I want people to start thinking about them as autoimmune diseases, just like we do cancer. We as um, you know, a world, as a community, we all understand cancer. I think there's an, a certain level of empathy from the general public when you say so-and-so in my family has cancer. We don't have that with autoimmune diseases. And I think that if we start to try to raise a broader awareness of it, we will start to see that empathy come through and understanding. Yeah, you know, it, it, what's interesting here is that by aggregating them, you become more of a significant entity instead of parsing them out into their, into their separate little conditions that, that so you can bring the funding together, bring the awareness together. I, I, I commend you in it. That's something that I didn't think about until, until just now. I'm going to break here for a second. If you have just turned in, you are listening to The Scope with Dr. K. Our guest today is Lily Stairs, who is the founder and principal at Patient Authentic. I'd like you to tell us and tell the listeners about your initiative and the organizations you consult with. We, we know your journey. We know how you've been passionate about being a patient advocate, but tell us about this organization you've started and uh, give us some nuts and bolts about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I started Patient Authentic this year, right before the pandemic. <laughs> nice timing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, I've been very fortunate. Healthcare has stayed busy um, for better or worse. And so I, I've kept busy and I am really grateful to do the work that I do. I'm passionate about the work that I do. I work with a number of different types of organizations. So I work with patient advocacy organizations and in one of my projects I'm working on, I'm helping develop a masterclass to help train other advocates and how they can 
uh, train other patients in how they can become advocates. I also am working as the head of patient advocacy at a company that connects patients to clinical trials, and I help uh, connect the dots and ensure that the company is keeping the patient voice at the center. And I also am working with uh, you know, on the product side, I have a company that has developed a mouthwash for patients who um, are going through chemo and radiation and develop mouth sores. And so I'm have helping them work with patient influencers to raise awareness about their product. So it really spans the gamut. I have a lot of different types of organizations that I work with across therapeutic areas. And I love it because ultimately at the heart of my projects is, is empowering patients. And how would a patient contact you? Patients can get in touch with me anywhere. So you can uh, on Twitter at Lily Stairs or uh, emailing me lily at patientauthentic.com. And a website? Yes, www.patientauthentic.com. Okay, so the website, the email, the Twitter account, you're really out there. I try. Um, <laughs> I love your energy. Um, I, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit here. We've noted at Sonar from the very beginnings of our work that patients tend to normalize, patients with chronic diseases that are symptomatic tend to normalize those symptoms as variants of normal. IBD patients can experience daily problems with their bowels, abdominal pain, joint pains, and yet they don't feel it's necessary to let a healthcare provider know about them because ah, oh, that's just my normal. That, that's what I'm used to. Have you noticed this? Do you think patients with chronic disease tend to normalize their symptoms? 100% yes. And as you were saying this, you were, you were talking about this experience and this question, my mind went back to a moment in time when I finally learned I was in remission. So this was again, se about seven years ago this month um, was when I, I got, I received a call that my blood work was normal for the first time in years. And I remember being on the phone with my mom and saying, you know, I actually feel normal. <laughs> and I don't remember what it's like. I, I at that point, you in your head, you kind of just say, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm feeling better. Like this is a little better." But you still got some joint pain, or you still got some stomach pain, or you still are symptomatic. Um, and honestly, I I guess from the time that I was diagnosed to the time that I was in remission, it was probably about two years. And that, in the grand scheme of things, is actually a pretty short period of time um, when you look at what the experience is like for most autoimmune patients in their journey to remission. Um, but in that two years, I still had forgotten what it meant to be normal. And that's so amazing. absolutely. That, I mean, yeah, that's my long-winded way of saying, yeah, 100%, absolutely. <laughs> so if we were going to give the people you ad advocate for some advice, it would be to stay focused on the symptoms. This isn't normal. You need, you need to continue to pursue your symptoms. Exactly. Don't settle. There is so much happening in innovation in the world of biotech and pharma. We are pushing for new medications and there is a lot of hope. And so don't just accept a treatment plan if it's not fully working for you. Keep pushing for more and better. You know, this is really important. 
because what patients have to realize is we live in a reactive patient engagement environment. Your providers are waiting for you to call them. They're, they're waiting for you to tell them that you're not, if you don't call them, they're thinking you're okay. And so you have to be the one to initiate the conversation today. Uh, Sonar is trying to fix that because we, we reach out to patients, but the great majority of care that's provided today by providers, well-meaning providers, I'm not saying there's something wrong with the doctors, but if you don't call, they think everything's fine. Exactly. They don't, you know yourself best. And so it's so important that you advocate for yourself and that you ask questions and that you do your own research and you bring that to your physician. Um, you know, we should always be challenging the status quo. And I think that as patients, we also have this sense of, you know, the doctor's in charge and I need to listen to the doctor. And Yes, your doctor has a lot of knowledge, but it should be a shared decision-making process. You should be actively involved and engaged and, and supporting those decisions. Absolutely. I totally agree. So where do you want to take this thing? Where do you, where do you, what is your vision of where you're going with your organization? Well, it's interesting because... I think a lot about what metrics I want to hold myself accountable to and what's most important to me. But when it comes down to it, I just want to be sure that I am taking on projects that empower patients. That is what I want to do. Everything I work on, I want to empower patients in some capacity. And I have one project that I worked on in particular with uh, Clara Health, the company that connects patients to clinical trials. I developed their Breakthrough Crew, an ambassador program that um, helps raise awareness about the power of research and trials. And I had a patient who told me that the program had given her purpose. And that was incredibly meaningful to me because that patient has experienced so much darkness and this has been a source of light for her. And so if I can continue to do that for patients and empower them, give them the resources to make an impact, then I'm doing my job right. Boy, we need more like you. We need to put you into a photocopier and just make, cop <laughs> make cop we need to clone you. <laughs> That's what we need to do. <laughs> oh, you are too kind. Uh, Dr. K, I want to take you around with me everywhere to be my advocate. <laughs> Tell me where. Yeah. After COVID. <laughs> anyway, I have one more question for you. You know, our, our show is all, is all about value-based care. And I'm always curious to how patients react to that term. What, what does that mean to you? How do you react when someone talks about value-based healthcare? I mean, my first question is, shouldn't all care be value-based? Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I talk about this a lot with different stakeholders in the healthcare ecosystem. And I think it's really frustrating because there are so many practices that counteract the concept of value-based care. And, and you and I have talked before about step therapy, which is one of you know the prime examples of, of how we are um, you, you know, of a strike against value-based care and, and step therapy for those who don't know it's the practice of, um, you know, insurers forcing patients to try a series of different cheaper medications before they can get to the medication that the doctor and patient have decided they should they should be on together. Um, so I like to say it's insurers playing doctor. It's them trying to come in and trying to have a say. 
And what happens is the in the end is that the patient loses out and the insurers do it to try to save money. But in the end, the patient's care, to, uh, their, their health declines and they end up hospitalized. They end up needing surgeries. And those are pretty big ticket items that their insurance company now has to pay for. To say nothing of the alterations in their life that being sick for a prolonged period of time results in. Um, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged that a lot of employers today are starting to take a different, a different approach because they want, the, they want their employees at work. They don't want their employees on PTO because, you know, they're trying this drug and it, it's not getting them better. And, you know, and as we said earlier about the biologics, this isn't like you take the drug for two, two three days and it doesn't work. Oh, and that, let's go up another step. We'll try something else. No, it's two, three weeks. Sometimes it's two, three months. And, and that just translates into a lot of angst uh, for the patient. So you're, you're positive on the term value-based care. Oh, yeah. Big fan. Especially when you see your bills, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll tell you, I have, you know, when you look at the time that I was hospitalized for Crohn's disease for, let's call it about two weeks, uh, that hospital bill was $200,000. And then you compare that to my, that's, that's $200,000, two weeks I'm in the hospital and I'm sick to the point I can't even talk. I'm bedridden. I can't do anything. Then you look at my biologic medication, which drug companies get a lot of flack for their pricing. And I'm not saying their pricing is perfect, but that, you know, that medication is $20,000 every two months, $120,000 for the year, 365 days of the year. I am healthy. I have my own company. I'm active. I am living a full life. So you tell me, you know, from a price perspective, how does this add up, right? $200,000 for two weeks, really sick, or $120,000 for the year, really healthy and contributing to society. And there's a, there's a third option here. Oh, yeah. The $200,000 for the hospital admission and the money for the biologic because if you say no to the biologic in the first place and the patient gets sick it's not like when they come out of the hospital they're not going to need the biologic anyway so exactly. you add that exactly so okay there you go third option yeah, yeah, we don't want the third I, option this is why we need value-based care well that's our show today thank you lily and thanks for our audience for tuning in you can learn more about the show on the program's page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at hashtag HCNowRadio. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at SonarMD. We're bringing patients, providers, payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join.